What makes a dancer decide to go into the sciences after graduating from college and working professionally in dance for several years? How do you navigate pivoting your career? Why was the decision of going to school in physical therapy one that felt not quite right? How do you balance going back to school to complete prereqs while you're having a baby and preparing to apply to medical school at the exact same time? Today on Talking Missions and Med Student Life, I interview Cecilia, a first-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Got another great guest today, Cecilia. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Uh, just started med school. Mm-hmm. All right. How's the first couple weeks gone? Good. Busy. <laughs> Doable? Doable. Doable. Definitely. All right. Not too overwhelming. Not too overwhelming, just a little. Just okay. a little. Okay, we'll talk about that. But let's let's jump back in time, Cecilia. Um, you grew up in Utah, right? I did. Okay, yeah. where'd you grow up? What, what area? Um, in the avenues. In the avenues. Yeah. Okay. And growing up in Utah, went to high school here. Mm-hmm. I and went then to judge. You went to judge, and then there was like, uh, well, just you know, let's, when did you decide to become a doctor? Which we'll kind of worked that way in. So that's a good question. <laughs> so I guess um, my medicine has kind of always been in my life. Mm-hmm. My mom's a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, but when I started college, I had zero interest in medicine. Um, and I went to college in Santa Clara University in California and majored in dance and psychology. Interesting. Um, and then after I finished college, I moved up to San Francisco. Okay. With the hopes of living the life of an artist. Um, Interesting. It's very bohemian. So, <laughs> sort of. So we're talking like a dancing career, or what are we talking about? Yeah. So I there's I danced with a small dance company in San Francisco. There's a lot of sort of independent artists in that part of the Bay Area. Um, what was? Did you have a name for the group or yes. troupe or what are they called? A company. Company. Okay. It was called Double Vision. Double um, Vision. And we did. Sort of experimental artwork. We had um, a electronic music composer that we worked with. Mm-hmm. So we performed a lot in San Francisco. We went on a national tour where we slept on all of our friends' floors. Across Couch surfing the, across the country. Yes. How big is this? How big is this company? It was about six or seven people. Okay, all right. give or take. Oh, um, modern dance, ballet. Modern dance. Robot dancing. Ro- we, I did dress up as a robot. One Ooh. <laughs> is it on YouTube? Can we find it? No. For all the listeners I think there's maybe there. pictures on the internet. Oh, okay. If you search deep enough. Okay. My kids are into robot dancing. Get, <laughs> yeah. Apparently they've been teaching that in schools now. So That's yeah, awesome. it's very cute when they do it. They go uh, beep, beep, <laughs> beep. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that for, got like about five or six years. Um, and San Francisco is obviously a very expensive place to live. That's why you're here. Yeah. 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 I've lived in California. I mean, yeah. I mean Gorgeous, you know, good weather, great food. High rent. High rent. Steep streets. Yes. So being involved in art was wonderful and very rewarding, Mm -hmm. but supporting myself was always very difficult. Um, So I worked in the, while I was dancing, I also worked in the nonprofit sector, Mm -hmm. mostly for small or for medium-sized arts organizations, helping them fundraise. Mm -hmm. Um, And... After a while, I felt like I had done as much artistic things, artistic stuff in my life as I kind of met those goals, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted a more stable life. 
So, so the entire time you're dancing. Yeah. In the back of your mind, you're, you think in medicine, you think in healthcare, or thinking. So there, I guess my interest in science sort of expanded while I was mm-hmm. dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, it may seem counterintuitive, but there's actually a pretty big crossover between scientists and artists. Mm. So that was happening, and I wanted a more stable career. I also, working in an office isn't something that I love, sitting mm-hmm. behind a desk all day. Um, so I started kind of thinking about new things to do. I thought about going into public policy, mm-hmm. um, and then I thought about the healthcare world, mm-hmm. um, and kind of went back to my roots with talking to my mom about okay. her career. And so your mom the entire time is like, I was always hoping you'd come back. <laughs> I, I assume she was very supportive. Of she was dance, very supportive, But she yeah. was probably like trying to take the long view going, I'm not sure if you can do this for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you should figure out how to like always pay your bills yourself. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so there is so, something to the starving artist yes, kind of yes. image. And I think yeah. some people are better at dealing with that than others. Mm-hmm. Some people need more stability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm one of those people. So I thought about science um, and healthcare and kind of settled on physical therapy mm-hmm. um, because it seemed like a good way to combine what I had done in dance. Yeah. Like, I mean, dancers have injuries. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, were you ever injured? I mean, nothing serious. You didn't but have to go like get some physical therapy. I did get a little bit of okay. physical All right. therapy All right. over the years. Yeah. That makes sense. It's kind of like a natural. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's always like, if you talk to physical therapists, there's always a contingent that are former dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that would give me the opportunity to, you know, go back and take the prereqs and mm-hmm. kind of indulge myself in learning more science. Something that I felt like I missed out on. So after undergrad years. So it sounds like after the arts career starts kind of winding down, you had to go back to school mm-hmm. a little bit and get get your application, get your life ready for this pivot, this exactly. transition. Yeah. yeah, and I did most of that while I was still working full time in the okay. nonprofit sector. So it took me a while. Um, and then and this is all in San Francisco. All in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, and then I applied to PT school. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was. Always like a little voice in the back of my mind thinking that maybe I wanted to go to medical school, mm-hmm. but I forged ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, got into PT school, Okay, started PT school, um, and even it never felt like quite right. Mm-hmm. It always felt very close to right, but so not felt, quite there. It felt better. It felt better. Yeah. And um, the first year or so of PT school at the program that I was in, um, sort of was split between learning the basics of physical therapy mm-hmm. and also kind of getting a foundational understanding of medical science. Yeah. And there's anatomy and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I mean, were you, were, were, did you take those type of classes then or was that later on? Or? I took those. So we started with anatomy we okay. went in the cadaver lab. There's a fair amount of overlap between medicine and mm-hmm. physical therapy, pharmacy. I mean, there's like, it's the health sciences. For exactly. A yeah. So everybody has, you know, a, some of the basic mm-hmm. education understanding. So um, what I found was that I loved my anatomy class. I loved my physiology class. Um, we had to take a pathology class too. And, um, my physical therapy classes like kinesiology and orthopedics, Mm -hmm. I sort of had to force myself to study for them. Um, and the opposite was true for most of my classmates. 
So I... And how, many, how big is this program? How many people are It here? was 50 people. 50 people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I, I would say, medium size. Yeah, yeah, medium size. I think there are mm-hmm. some programs that are smaller mm-hmm. and a lot that are bigger. Um, so I kind of struggled with that for about the first six months. Mm-hmm. And then um, I reached out to my physiology teacher. Um, he's, he was He's an MD, mm-hmm. and um, he's also very involved in teaching medical students. Um, and he gave me really good life advice, mm-hmm. which was basically that you don't want to be 90 years old on your deathbed and have any regrets. And That's very true. That it's never too late to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started reaching out to some different physicians that he connected me with um, mm-hmm. and immediately found um, a couple of female physicians that were just great role models and kind of the example of what I want to be in mm-hmm. 10 to 15 Kind of gave you an image. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave you a... a like what to strive for, a model. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so from the time that I talked to my physiology teacher to the time that I decided to take a leave of absence from PT school was about another six months. Okay. Um, and it seemed like this totally overwhelming decision. And quitting something is really hard, especially mm-hmm. for me. Um, so it was, a really, it was one of the hardest decisions that I've ever made. Because you started probably... I you know, started making friends exactly. with the other PT students, mm-hmm. and then it was like, uh, you know, I'm not going to do this, guys. You know, exactly. That must have been kind of a that must have been a hard discussion. Yeah, yeah, it was really hard, and I think um, I was really afraid that people would judge me for it. Mm-hmm. And what I found was, once I actually made the decision to leave PT school, immediately like this huge stress in my life was just gone, mm-hmm. and. Um, People were people weren't judgmental of me. They were actually really supportive. So it was like I had kind of projected all of my self judgment on what I thought other people would think of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're your own worst critic. Exactly. Yes. And the other really funny thing that happened is um, people started reaching out to me, like other PT school students that were kind of struggling with whether PT was the right place for them. Um, Another friend of a friend who was thinking about going back to medical school, too. Mm-hmm. So everybody was just suddenly very supportive, and it was very clear that that was the right decision. So made another pivot in your life. Exactly. Did you have to go back and do even more kind of pre-med activities and classes and things like that? Yeah, I had to go back and take the second semester of OCHEM mm-hmm. and get ready for the MCAT. Um and I also had a baby at the same time. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, you bring that up, Cecilia. So let's talk about that. So, you know, we're, we've talked about your professional and educational right, life. Yeah. And then your personal life, you know, you can't really separate these things. No, they're you all... You know, that, that's all kind of chugging along. And so, mm-hmm. um, when did you meet this person? And I assume they've been supportive yes. of all these changes. <laughs> so, yeah, how was that? So I met my husband um, when I was still dancing in San okay. Francisco. But we got married um, while I was in PT school. All right. So we got married. Um, so we've been married for three, a little over three years now. And in that time, um, I've gone from PT school to leaving PT school mm-hmm. to having a baby to applying to medical school to starting medical school. <laughs> a lot of changes. And he's gone through like several job changes. Okay. So it's been an eventful few years. Yeah, but it sounds like incredibly supportive mm-hmm. and just 
and he's not from Utah. Sounds like no. he's, he's is he from California? He grew up mostly in Michigan. Okay, Michigan. Okay, be in North Carolina. So we're a little bit closer to his family, right? Yeah, so, yes. <laughs> slightly. Yes, moving, making <laughs> the education move back east. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to use this word, and you probably have heard this before, but a non-traditional student right. or a non-traditional applicant. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that fits you in your situation? I would say um, definitely. Okay. And it's funny, in a couple, like, through the interview process, I remember talking to one doctor, and she said something like, oh, everybody's a non-traditional applicant these days. And then I started to tell her my story, and she was like, oh, you're really a (laughs) non-traditional applicant. (laughs) Okay. So I think I'm kind of on the far end of the spectrum. So what... Like, let's just start picking apart. So MCAT, was that mm-hmm. a little bit harder to study for as an artificial student? Or did you feel like, you know, you're good at taking tests? Or like, I mean, what advice would you give? How would you do this? Because, like, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people, and that, that that's a bear of a test. It's a it very is. long test, like eight, nine hours. Mm-hmm. A lot of intense studying. It's a pretty important test. Mm-hmm. Um, very important. So, yeah, like, what, what, what was your techniques? I mean, how did you balance all this stuff? Um, so my original plan was to take the MCAT before I had my baby while I was pregnant. Um, and what I found was that because I took so many of my prereqs before I started PT school, mm-hmm. I was very rusty with general chemistry and physics. Um, and I delayed my test date. So okay. I was supposed to take it in September. And just wasn't ready. So I actually took it when my son was six months old. Okay. Um, Interesting. So it was a long... The MCAT... Would you recommend that to other people? No. (laughs) (laughs) Cecilia says... Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) But with the caveat that I guess you shouldn't... I mean, sometimes you have to do... Mm -hmm. You have to do what you have to do. Were you taking practice tests? Lean up to it? Yes. So I did like a lot of content review and Mm -hmm. study and some practice tests and then um had my baby took kind of about a month break um and then started studying again and i took it on june 1st um and for a call you did extremely well i did do well yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i would say good job cecilia thank you (laughs) the challenging part was in terms of balancing family obligations um For my situation, after I had the baby, what made the most sense was for me to be my son's primary caretaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And because childcare, especially in the Bay Area, is very expensive. So we set up a support system for ourselves where we kind of traded off grandparents coming to visit. Mm -hmm. And that was when I worked in a lot of my study time. Okay. And then over nap time Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, So it took me longer to get ready for the MCAT because I had a baby yeah. than I otherwise would have. But then you throw in all the other stuff that med schools are looking for, like right. shadowing doctors and community service. I mean, is that the same thing, just kind of like prioritizing and multitasking? Is that is that how you Yeah. That? I feel like I did most of my community service before I had the baby. Okay. Um, and then I found, you know, I guess in any sort of difficult, challenging process, finding good mentors is mm-hmm. so important. Um, and so my former physiology professor was, has been and still is a great mentor of mine. And um, he gave me the opportunity to come back to my physiology class in TA. Mm-hmm. So that was something that was very doable. 
okay. with a baby. Um, and my other mentor was a hosp or is a hospitalist at the VA hospital, and we had this long-term, basically, quality improvement project that we were working on. So that was something that I could do at home mm -hmm. on my own time um, and come in for meetings, like, okay. about once a month or, you know, talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. So flexibility was super important for me. Awesome. All right. So you started applying to schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you, as a non-traditional student, did you target schools? Because I think this information is out there that, yeah. that are... I don't know what the word is, pro non-traditional student, I guess. I, I mean, like, how, how did you pick the schools to apply to? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, so basically my husband works in tech. Okay. Um, and being close to San Francisco is important for his career trajectory. Um, and he also, about the time that I decided to start applying to medical school, started basically the perfect job for him. Mm. And um, so he is in charge of all of the engineers for a startup and um, it's a hardware startup. So he's managing mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and he's, his background is in computer science. Mm -hmm. um, so programmers also. So we went into make it as likely as possible that he would be able to stay at his job while I went to medical school. So we targeted schools mostly based on geography. Okay. Um, also with the idea that we wanted to be places where we had family support. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I can see Utah kind of rising on the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Utah is less than a two-hour flight away. Yes. My mom is here. Yeah. Um, it's a great place to have kids. Yeah, so. yeah. And if, if you really get crazy one night, you're going to drive straight, stop in Reno. Exactly. Yeah, do a little gambling, <laughs> just keep on pushing through the Bay Area. Yeah. I've done that yeah. trip many a times, <laughs> but I never gambled. So, um, okay, so you start applying these schools. And then the interview process. Mm -hmm. Like, again, I have a I have a theory. Want to hear my theory? And then yes. you can, like... So my anecdotal, I don't have any data that supports this, but just anecdotally, I feel that non-traditional students do slightly better in the interview process because they're a little bit older, more mature, mm -hmm. have more life experience, and they can kind of talk about things better. Yeah. Do you agree or disagree with that? I do agree to, I guess, a point. Okay. Um, I think because I'm so far on the, like, so far to the end of the spectrum of mm. non-traditional, um, particularly in the more traditional style interviews, I think I threw a couple of my interviewers off. Oh, um, I see. Just that they were, they weren't expecting my life story to be what it was. Okay. Um, and I could have maybe prepared for that a little bit better. Mm. And the MMIs are obviously different because your personal life doesn't really come up. Um, so you liked MMIs better? Yeah, I mean, some ways they were easier. Okay. Um, I didn't have to answer quite as many personal questions. <laughs> and as a woman that yeah. has a young child, whether... Mm -hmm. It's true or not, there's a certain amount of anxiety in revealing that you just had a baby when mm. you're applying to medical school. You'll fit right in. You fit in right Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Uh, several of your classmates, both men and women, have had children. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is great. Have you guys found here. each other? Have you started mm -hmm. kind of... I know who most of them are. Kind like. yeah. <laughs> it's a club. It's a club, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I think that you definitely have more to talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's just something people... So I'm getting a lot of questions nowadays about gap years. You mm -hmm. know, and I, I, like, 
I like your phrase, like, you know, the spectrum of non-traditional. And so uh, nationally, the, uh, the average age of an incoming student is creeping up, right? right. yeah. And I, so I think nationally, I think the number is, you know, 24 years old, 25 years mm-hmm. old. Um, we've always been above the national average by a year or two for mm-hmm. cultural, religious, et cetera, et cetera, reasons. Right. So more and more students are a little bit older as they start medical school. And the way, so people ask me about gap years. I say, like, well, you know, the path to medicine is very long. If mm-hmm. there's anything you want to do, you should really maybe do it before med school. So people are going out and they're doing Teach for America or the Peace right. Corps. And they're just kind of doing stuff or working in the private sector or doing all this stuff. And so I think it's, I think, I don't know, I think people have these different experiences. And then they come to medical school and then they make the class richer and they have different perspectives. And it kind of drives the debate and the educational experience. So. Definitely. I don't know. Have you have you experienced that the first few weeks of school? Or? Yeah, I agree. I think also you're um, all, all, you've already had some TBLs, right? Right. Yeah, we've had yeah. a lot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and you do. It's interesting in our TBLs. You can see that everybody has sort of their field of knowledge that they have more knowledge in. So mm-hmm. working in a group together is really great. Like I'm strong in anatomy because of PT school, but my background in molecular biology is not as strong as some of the other people in my group. So we mm-hmm. kind of all bring each other up. Um, and I also think just diversity in so many ways mm-hmm. is great for medicine in general and a medical school class. And that includes life experience. So I think there's definitely something to be said for the people that have the maturity and, you know, have differentiated themselves enough to go straight through. Mm-hmm. Um, along with people who have taken a different path. Yeah. I think it's good to have both. Yeah. I remember when I went to medical school, I was more near, I was like young. I was like 23, 24. Mm -hmm. And I remember like my classmates who were older than me, like, you know, they're in their late twenties, thirties. And like, it was just, you know, I was still friends with them, but like, it was like, oh, they have all these other responsibilities. (laughs) I remember like, you know, our, our, our lovely library, I remember studying at night and, you know, I would see these guys and, you know, their, their wives or husbands, they would, you know, drop by dinner, right. you know, and like, oh, I wish someone would bring me dinner, you know? So, I, you know, it's like, it's sixes. Cause like, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. it's hard. Cause like, you know, as I've talked to the students, especially that just started out, I think everyone's trying to find, I call it the academic rhythm, you know, exactly. their routine and trying to establish a schedule. And for a lot of students, they haven't been in school for a few years. Mm-hmm. But even if they were just an undergrad last year, I would argue, well, med school is different. You're like, the, this is the big leagues. You know, <laughs> like there's a lot, lot of information in a short mm-hmm. amount of time. So I think people are like mm, starting to find their footing. Yeah, definitely. Do you think you found your footing or? Um, I think I have a goal to what my footing would be. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, and it's funny, having family responsibilities in a child is it definitely has its pluses and its minuses it um I feel like once you have kids kids thrive on routine and schedules Mm -hmm. so I'm forced into a routine like I definitely get up at the same time every day and um go to bed near the same time every night I know that if I deviate from my routine I'm gonna pay for it because Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of wiggle room Mm -hmm. um but I do have less time so I can't get behind. Um, but I think that it's very doable. Okay. Are you, are you more of a, you know, just to ask, are you more of a library study person? Or like after, you know, your son goes down to sleep kind of study person? Or how have you found that time? So my goal, which, the goal. I, <laughs> my yes. goal, which I have not achieved yet, mm-hmm. is to 
um, get up a little bit earlier than he does. Okay. Um, I'm lucky in that he's a good sleeper. Mm -hmm. So he sleeps until about 7 o'clock in the morning. So my goal is to get up like around 5.30, get myself ready, have maybe at least a half an hour to study, um, and then get him up, get him ready for the morning, take him to daycare, and then study until our classes don't usually start until one. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very fortuitous. I mean, I think exactly. that really helps. And that's a good three, four hours of power, powering. <laughs> Remember those feel power. Yeah. Um, and then after class, I've been, you know, getting to daycare as fast as I can. Mm -hmm. um, and then. Yeah, they'll find you. Oh yeah. yeah, five dollars a minute. Oh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when is it? When's the six p.m. Six p.m. Okay. So there's plenty of time. Okay, plenty of time. Um, they're so very, they're very militant about that. Oh my yeah. kid, my kids are in a similar program, and it's like you do yeah. not mess with that. No, and I feel no. like what happens after a half hour? Did like you start depriving them of food and water? <laughs> I mean, like I don't know. It just seems very yeah. And then yeah. the, the the sick policy too. That's kind of right. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, uh, I'm sure that will happen. You come pick them up. They have a fever. What's this number? 98.0. I don't think that's a fever, <laughs> but I'm not going to get an argument with you because my child's at, yeah, so I'll come pick him up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that part is going to be a little tough, I think, yeah. once he gets sick, and which happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I try and study a little bit after he goes to bed. Mm -hmm. So my husband's been traveling back and forth between here and San Francisco a lot, but after another week or so, he'll be mostly in Salt Lake, working remotely. Cool. So that'll be easier, too. So how did it feel moving back to Utah? It's Is good. it like the prodigal Utah? Like, <laughs> I never thought I'd be back here, or this is great, or... I definitely never thought I would move back to Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, and I'm sure my husband, didn't, like, you know, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. he would not have thought he would be living in Utah. But that's the beauty of life. Exactly. Um, but... It's great. I mean, especially at this phase in my life mm -hmm. with having a family, being near grandparents and having that kind of support, um, you just can't match it. And my life is actually less exhausting now mm -hmm. than it was in San Francisco, even with medical school. Yeah. I don't know how. <laughs> well, no, I, I, you know, as I tell people, like, I think our lives are like 5,000 chapter books. Exactly. And you're, you're maybe, maybe a chapter, chapter a thousand. <laughs> chapter a thousand. You have 4,000 more chapters to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't know where life will take you. I mean, I think the next four years are going to be very busy, but very mm -hmm. beautiful. And then there's that whole residency match thing. You shouldn't think about that now because you just started. But, like, <laughs> like, there's this other kind of, like, big pivot. Like, oh, you know, residency, what field, and, like, where are we, you know, yeah. Yeah. Your, hus your husband's aware of this, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My husband moved around a lot as a kid, so, right. he's so he's much more flexible than I am. So he's going to understand that, that this is going to be... This is going to be beautiful, but it's going to be a journey. It's going exactly. to be a long journey. Yeah. So. I think he um, he's one of those people that discovered sort of his career purpose very young. Um, he started programming computers when he was like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so he's just excited for me to start my... Mm -hmm. like, like, Cecilia, you've been talking about this for a long time. Exactly. It's starting. You're happy. Yeah. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. Well, how'd you guys meet? Um... So one of my day jobs when I was dancing in San Francisco, I was an office manager at a PR firm. Okay. And my sister-in-law, my husband's sister, worked there. Oh. And so we had this other coworker who was an amateur stand-up comic, and so we met at one of her okay. amateur comedy shows. Oh, wow. That's a good story. In the Tenderloin. I don't know how familiar you are oh, yeah, with yeah, San Francisco. I don't, yeah, yeah. Not the greatest neighborhood. 
<laughs> but with a lot of character. Exactly. Very cool. All right. So I want to bring it back because you said something at the beginning. And I want to kind of explore that more. Um, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come do this. I'm um, taking away your t- study time. I feel just bad. a little bit. Just a little bit. You mentioned that um, science and art, there's like a, like a synergy there. There's mm-hmm. like a, a, a crossover, an overlap. Can you like tell me more about that? Like, Yeah. So actually one of um, my friends that I danced with in my dance company just started her internal medicine residency at Pittsburgh. Okay. So when I was thinking about doing all of this, I talked to her for a really long time, um, and she was very supportive. And the director of my dance company, the choreographer, her day job, which she still has, um, she administered a graduate program for a biology professor at UC Berkeley. Mm. And so there was this core group of seven or eight kind of regular artists, but we would do these big projects and she would recruit these scientists that she knew from Berkeley. Um, and she worked in the integrative biology program. Interesting. So they did a lot of, they would build robots that like moved like cockroaches and hmm. they did a lot of like kind of crazy stuff. So we had these very talented mechanical engineers that would work for do, you know, help us develop crazy sets and things to interact with in our performances. Um, So that's kind of, I guess, a more concrete example. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of how the artistic brain and the scientific brain work is actually very similar. Mm. Um, You know, science is always asking questions and coming up with possible explanations. And I think the creative process is like that also, particularly in modern dance. There's this tradition of when you're trying to figure out how to create a new work of art, um, you either come up with a problem that you're trying to solve or sort of a meditation on different experiences or ideas Hmm, that you've seen in the world. I guess there's an intellectual curiosity at the core of both of them. With all that's going on in your life, do you still have time to do a little art or a little dance on the side? Or maybe that's a goal. <laughs> that could be a goal. That Not right a goal. now. Right. I did meet, um, over the last six months, some younger physicians in San Francisco who were producing live storytelling events. Yes. Um, and they kind of recruit practicing physicians to come in and tell their stories on a theme. So I've been working with them a little bit. You know, with Layers of Medicine, I don't know if you know this, but there's usually a f- end-of-year project. Right. I'm thinking you should do a dance. I'm thinking just an idea. I'm gonna put the, I I'm thought gonna about put it. Put that out there. You can just blow away your classmates. They have probably no idea how good you are. So Maybe we'll do, like, a dance film that I can do ahead of time. Okay, like a dance <laughs> film. All right. I guess I should also say um, my the choreographer of my dance company, she's still doing artwork and um i don't know if you've read the book the body keeps the score i've heard of it i haven't read it um so she's doing a lot of stuff with people that have experienced trauma in their life okay and um they create works of art that are interactive Mm. and um that do things like they'll sense someone's heart rate and then project it visually so people can see it Mm. and create kind of this experiential um, environment where people not relive their trauma but experience kind of the physiological... That's beautiful. um, 
you know, process that you go through in the hope that it will be healing. Wow. So I talked to her a little bit over the. Yeah. I did a little PTSD research and study. Like the book I think about when you said that is like The Body Remembers. I remember studying that book. Probably sounds very similar. I think it is. Yeah. So. Well, that's beautiful, Cecilia. I really appreciate you coming in. This has been awesome. (laughs) Um, And I'm excited to see you over the next few years and watch you grow into a doctor. And we'll have to have you come back and give us updates about your son, about your husband, about medical school and where you're at and what ultimately what field you choose. Well, thank you for having me. Cool. Well, thanks, (laughs) Cecilia. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.